What would you culturally identify yourself as? A white man. <laughs> um, brown man? What if it, maybe it's not a one culture because I feel like I left a lot of the culture I was raised with behind as I moved and grew in other places. Mm. But also if you're so, and it also depends on how adaptable you are in new environments. I, I would say also there is like, uh, in Egypt, there is this complexity when it comes to how culture and class also interact. So the the upper middle class and high class in Egypt go to totally different schools, private schools. So for example, I've been to schools where everything was taught in English. Okay. So I started to like learn English when I was four, four yeah. basically. Um, and then you start to have like this kind of like subgroup or subculture where also your friends who go to the same schools and have like references that are in English because we also consume like, you know, books and TV in shows, English yeah. and like movies and things like that. Then it becomes this mix of culture. Like, for example, it could be in some places in Egypt um, where a bunch of like young Egyptians sitting together in a cafe or something, all Egyptians born and raised in Egypt and they are speaking together in English. So mm. that would be very uh. similar to my case then. Oh. We'd all just speak English. Right. It wasn't the same thing for me. For me, like, I went to a school where there was English. We studied maths in English and science in English, but then everything else was in Arabic. But in class, only two students spoke English, and I was one of them. Me and just another kid who, whose name was Qasem. We spoke English all the time. Uh, we just liked it, and we just felt more natural speaking English. Everybody else thought that we were... Uh, wannabes or what is it what oh. is that American wannabes yeah. like we're trying to be westerners and we're not trying to be westerners we're just like trying to talk and speak a language that we thought was fascinating yeah. but also like it was interesting because that was when we started tapping into different um, cultures we started reading Polo Coelho books yeah. and I remember um, I kept asking my mom to give me to buy me books whenever she traveled and she bought me this book called 11 Minutes yeah and she had no idea what it was, but it was a book about this like sex worker right. that I read at the age of twelve. And then I brought and I brought it to Qasim, and it, it was so interesting because that tiny world that me and Qasim had in class outside of like well everybody else. And I think that's also like why um, how it allowed me to become more accepting of Western culture um, and not judgmental of it because i started reading you know about sex at a very uh, early age and uh, speaking english at an early age made me you know listen to michael jackson madonna britney spears I had this like wider range of acceptance of ideas of same how, thing for me yeah how mm. to dress how to act it makes you more accepting you see your culture like okay that's a culture and then you see other cultures and you're accepting of it but my uncles whenever we'd watch like britney spears or Backstreet Boys on TV, my uncles and my family members would look down on it and say, those are the kuffar, you know, the, what, mm. everything they're doing is wrong. Yeah. Mm. But for me, it was like, what's wrong with that? I like the way Britney dances. It's, it's really <laughs> interesting because um, I had a similar experience, not with the sex part, but <laughs> like not reading about sex, but it was mostly like I lived through books. Any experience, I was so fascinated by it. And I read like, the Princess Diaries as a teenager and Twilight. And it wasn't as much as... Um, <laughs> it wasn't as much as like wanting to be a vampire as much as the language wanting helped... to be Bella. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as much as the language actually helped me think wider than what was set out for me. So like, 
you know, even culturally, like having the opportunity to study or going to university. Not that it was very unfamiliar, but it was something like, oh, it's not my future. And that's like at a very young age at 14 is when I started applying for colleges because I was like, I cannot be here like this cannot be my life. I have to explore and books and movies and TV shows really helped just think outside uh, of the box. So when I did migrate to a Western country or even to Malaysia, which is kind of westernized and like having shopping malls. And this is like not Yemen or Egypt where you are a little fancier than Tanzania. And I say a little. I say very little. Um, I do disagree. Um, but like we... No, like, no, but wait, wait, wait. You, you're like, saying like a little compared <laughs> to Tanzania and, and also you're comparing Egypt to Yemen. No, yeah, you have sorry. I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like when we had about. escalators, like, you know, the moving staircase, mm. that was like a big thing. Obviously, I had traveled other places, so it wasn't as big. But you'd always get like kids like you know when there were escalators in shopping malls not too long ago maybe like 20 years ago or 15 years ago that was always exciting and I think Trevor Noah says this about uh, coming from South Africa where it's so normalized that you don't think that it was any different until you've moved outside and then you're like what Mm. (laughs) I like we hand wash clothes washing machines are slowly now coming up but like um, it, it, it's also like you know, y- yeah. I mean, my family are obviously can't afford to get a washing machine, but most places electricity is a luxury. Oh. Like electricity is like most places, it is a luxury. Let alone clean water. We're not talking about the the capital city then. I I no I, I I am talking about the capital city. This would be like an hour drive from the capital city when you go into villages. Mm, so that's that is a rural area, so to speak. Yeah, but even in the capital city, if there is no electricity citywide, you won't have it in the capital city at all. And this mm. isn't like a once in a ten years thing. This is like a once in ten days thing. Mm. And you'd have electricity gone for like two hours. Obviously, we have generators. Two hours. Do you have any idea how privileged that sounds to a Yemeni? Electricity gone for two hours. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard because um, this isn't even like a political scheme or anything. This is like literally an infrastructure issue. Mm. Obviously, it has changed in the recent years. But then, you know, what you talked about class that really plays into, I guess, a privilege I had, you know, studying in an English school, you know, having accessibility to like, you know, um, colored tv or wi-fi pretty early on than most people or even just having a computer we had it in the 1995s or six that was pretty early (laughs) it was it was very like you know one computer per family for years and um we were still like um, was it ms dos that we were trying to like it was like it was old windows like the oldest windows before xp Oh, okay. XP is still quite new, but I, w- I think we started at Windows ninety eight. That was okay. Like yeah, this f- was yeah, before probably, Windows. Probably yeah, uh, ninety five, ninety eight, something like that. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean by like the whole class thing pays a lot uh, into this. But at the same time, it also so we're pretty much all upper class brats, the three of us. Uh, I think I was raised lower middle class and then upper middle i would say in my and case. then yeah i yeah. think i'd say i'm yeah. upper I, middle. I wouldn't like say over class or high I'll class i'll say middle middle yeah if that's the thing i i started with lower middle like i didn't have my school fees that was like 200 dollars, you know 
in this currency, but it would be $200 and not paid. Mm. And I'd sit outside the school. And I'm like, okay, so I can't afford a yearly school fees of $200. And then I think with uh, my brother being the only son in the family, he started helping my dad, which was a, which is kind of like the downfall of the patriarchal society as well, because a burden of like taking care of the family fell onto him. Mm. So he had to help. And that's when we could slowly... It's very common though. Yeah, it is very yeah. common. But it's uh, it's what I feel like when feminists are arguing for equal rights, then it should be that, hey, women are also going to have to face that burden. It's only equal. It's selective equal rights. <laughs> <laughs> it's only equal. I mean, for, for me, in my case, I was like, I'm financially independent. Like, this is me. I don't need to be taken care of mm. in the financial ways. And that only was a possibility because I started thinking differently. And those books really played into how it cultivated my worldview in terms of like, oh, women work? Okay, cool. I want to work. But mm. but not with sewage or anything dirty. I mean, I, I used to work as a network <laughs> engineer, so I was like working with like electricians and I would come home dusty. Um, it wasn't the best, but I think I liked it. It was fun. Mm. Um, would I do it long term? Maybe not when I'm old and can't carry like 15 kilos of like a switch. I mean, I don't think I can still carry it. <laughs> I had some help. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I guess I built up my skills to not work in some jobs, including hospitality. Well, a lot of us have like basically been like, imagine if we would go back in time 100 years or something. Would be like worthless. We don't have any skills that would be like, it's like in the beginning of the 20th century, for example. What would we do? I can't even wow. navigate without maps. I feel attacked. That's true. Yeah. What would I be able to do? Wait, there's smoke coming out of you. <laughs> yeah. Out of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm heating up. Smoked. No, seriously, there's smoke. Okay, I'm hallucinating. <laughs> it's been a long, hard day. I remember my humor since I was a kid was kind of like a bit chucked because I remember telling my uncle or asking my my uncle kind of humorously but also seriously like I wanted to know and I remember asking him does Allah masturbate and he got so mad he almost beat me up and when and, I and I like that you're going like not for like is it okay to masturbate like does Allah masturbate? <laughs> this, is, this is like this is like let me blaspheme 101. No, I swear I wanted to know. I genuinely wanted like does God does Allah have like sexual desires? What does He do like all day? And that was like me getting into you know my sexual phase in life. So I'm like does God? How I'm, like, old were you? Like, <laughs> Twelve, I think. Twelve. Yeah, I, I knew know. way better than to ask such a question. What? I, I didn't even know kid. what masturbation was until I was like 15. Oh, okay. I was like this but little... You're a girl, it's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but in the same... Okay, yeah. <laughs> I get, okay, I get that. That's how we're starting, huh? Uh, like our sex ed classes were pretty much like, this is what a male genitalia is like and this is what a female genitalia is like. That's it. There was no condoms. I think they kind of mentioned it, but it was like a half an hour class in my entire education until i was like mm -hmm. 16 right um or 15 in high school but i think as men you have so much more freedom to open your mouth in the yeah, middle east I, I know like i have a friend she uh, comes from libya uh from like somali parents uh i think she came here when she was maybe 19 20 something like this and this was the first time she knew about sex 
Like she never knew like what was sex before that. And she was 19. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know so where wait, babies came from. But like I just thought you operate the tra- uh, until I was like 17 maybe. Whoa. Motherfucker. Yeah. 17 16. But like so okay this might this question might be out of line but when you do get like sexual arousal what did you think it was? No idea. I was just I, what do I you just mean nev- no idea. I, I was just like oh that guy's cute or like you know you'd watch a kissing scene and then you'd shut your eyes and then I think you just stop you just put a mental blocker and it wasn't even like Islamic it was just like this is not something I know about or this is something that adults do so it's not my time and you just put a mental blocker so you just felt dopamine and that was all you couldn't l- put anything into it yeah i guess um i i couldn't understand um but that's actually interesting would one who doesn't know about sex have sex dreams that's a good question i think you would but those dreams would be kind of like pg version actually i don't think so because like your dreams are pretty much like um, a plethora of your mind like everything that you thought about usually dream things that you've thought about or dream about your worry things you're worried about so i don't think when if you have have never thought of sex or never seen sex it's not your brain is not capable of coming up with any sexual dreams actually i think i remember my first sex dream (laughs) <laughs> really i do oh, i think do i do <laughs> what was but it? uh the thing is like I, de- I can't remember the details but i remember what it was like that there wasn't any sex act in the in the dream but there was this feeling of like sexual excitement so there was this woman uh, and she was like you know half covered but like there there wasn't anything that has to do with genitalia really but uh, there's this just this feeling of sexual excitement excitement mm. sexual desire uh, and that's it yeah i think i think for me like i i can't think of a sex dream when i had when i was younger but i think in my case it would be um the opposite uh gender or sex in this case um body or something i was attracted to but i had no idea that that constituted as something that was exciting to me. Mm. But but that's also interesting because we are still we're we're animals basically. No, we're not. <laughs> and and the thing is like animals, nobody teach them sex. It's not like their their parents bring them into like a sex act and see here <laughs> this is how you how you procreate and they get it. we spoke about the word Islamophobia and how widespread it has been used to silence critiques of Islam, but even more so being weaponized by Islamic fundamentalists uh, to lash out on people who refuse to comply with their conservative interpretation of Islamic scripture. Mm. In this episode, I'd like to explore how the word Islamophobia um, creates a pathway to blasphemy and blasphemy sanctions. Mm. So blasphemy by its definition is the action or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. So basically profane talk about sacred things. Including and feminism. Including feminism, yes. So exactly that. I mean, one of the topics we explored in when we spoke about Islamophobia was it also denies Muslim uh reformists muslims as well the chance to uh dissent in any form Mm. um last week mubarak bala a nigerian atheist was sanctioned sorry was 
sentenced to jail for 24 years under the account of blasphemy. Now, the news have said that he was persecuted for blasphemy. However, none of the charges were actually blasphemy, and there is a debate around it. However, it's not inconceivable that what led to his arrest in 2020, so he's been in prison for over a year with no charges, and now is when he actually went to court. Other UN bodies, other humanist organizations, a lot of international organizations condemned Nigeria's action on what uh, on the sentencing of Mubarak Bala, but also on arresting him without any charges, except for the Facebook posts that he wrote about Muhammad. What did he write? Sorry? What did he write exactly? So um, I think... I can't, I can't really remember what the posts were about, so I will look that up quite soon. But I wanted to kind of explore how we got to that point. Now, Nigeria is not a Muslim country. They have states and territories that are under Sharia law. In Kind of like Malma. <laughs> <laughs> so he did not actually live in those states. So initially, when he talked about his apostasy a few years ago, and was elected as uh, one of Humanist International's Nigerian uh, bodies um, president. He was, uh, when he first talked about apostasy, he was taken to a psychiatry a psychiatrist um, facility. And this was against his will. You don't he believe was, in God. You must be crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when he was arrested over talking about Muhammad, the charges that the Nigerian um, authorities have push, uh, put forward is that he was disturbing the peace in the land by talking about this. Uh, the same, I'm uh, sorry, same things can be brought up in Egypt, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'm sorry. Like when you're like an atheist or a secular person who lives in the Middle East, you feel like they're the ones who are disturbing your peace. Absolutely. Right? So it's like, why isn't the why isn't it a two way? Okay, sorry. Keep, no, yeah. it's all it's all good. Um, and that was a disturbing part where a lot of his lawyers, from the lawyers that were appointed by Humanist International, advised him not to accept um, the charges before him. But despite all he all the lawyers' attempts, he pleaded guilty. And speculations are, which is very common, by the way, with what happened with me in Tanzania as well. The speculation is that he had to say yes to those charges if he wanted his family safe um, in Nigeria, because the family still live in Nigeria. The wife, the son, they still live in Nigeria. It's not unheard of that despite laws of blasphemy that affect uh, actually 40% of the global countries, including states. So 40% of the world, not just Islamically, but have related notions of blasphemy. And it could be Christianity and maybe somewhere in the EU as well. I remember a court ruling against a woman in Austria on the Accord of Blasphemy. Now, my whole point with this was when we use words like Islamophobia, we're actually co- like we are actually giving room for blasphemy laws to exist because we're shutting down people who do blaspheme are considered to be Islamophobic and making leeway for such laws that have been outdated in most Western countries to come back to life. That just infuriated me right now because I always feel like if we were to have equality, um, all ideologies have the same um, equal rights, then we who are atheists in the Middle East 
should be able to call everything that Islam stands for for atheist-phobic or secular-phobic. Why don't we have the same privilege as, as these ideologies, right? It, it's really insane because I, I do feel like Islam has this extreme privilege in the West and the Middle East. In the Middle East, it acts as this extremely strong and totalitarian ideology that... If you criticize it, you get killed. You can get, you know, you can put get put in prison. Like Raif Badwi, who just left prison like last week or two weeks ago after just writing some tweets about Prophet Muhammad, uh, about Islam, and this guy that you just spoke about. So in the Middle East, if you criticize Islam, you get jailed, banished, killed, hung. In the West, if you criticize Islam, you're an Islamophobe, you're a hater, you're a racist. Where in the world can you criticize Islam? Just like any other religion, like criticizing Buddhism or Christianity without being called a racist or an Islamophobe. Is it Texas? Because I... <laughs> I think the answer to that will be a non-Western country mm-hmm. that does not... A non-Western country that's not a Muslim country and does not have a significant minority of Muslims. Japan? Yeah, yeah. I think Japan would or not have China. a problem. Or China. Yeah. Or, no, let's not bring China into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Japan, for example, would be like something like you would criticize Islam and it will like fall totally flat. Nobody would be upset. <laughs> Nobody would care. Nobody would care. It's like, okay, what's this like? That's <laughs> they, true. They have no Muslims <laughs> and they don't have like this like relativist identity politics ideology. And the, it's like totally foreign. to it's, It would be exactly the same thing like here if you would criticize Buddhism, <laughs> you know? Nobody would call you like Buddhist phobic. No Buddhist would try to kill you. It's like uh, nobody gives gives a fuck. That is true, actually. But you know what? I, I do think that it's great that in Sweden it actually you know evokes emotion because like if you go on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere and write something about Islam, a lot of people are gonna get upset. You're gonna get like a lot of hate comments, and I I think that is important because it highlights a huge issue, like. So imagine if we as ex-Muslims came to Sweden and Muslims were a minority, um, you know, uh, honor culture, murder in the name of honor, uh, killing in the name of Islam was something unheard of. If we spoke about these issues, people would just ignore us. We'd be like, oh, whatever, shut up, right? But because it evokes a lot of question, it can steer a lot of conversation. And I think it sucks for Sweden, (laughs) but... In terms of anti-Islamism, anti-Islamic extremism, it's very important. What do you guys think? Okay, here. I, I generally, generally speaking, I don't like emotionalizing topics. Uh, I don't think this is the constructive way to go forward. So even like I try as much as possible in, in arguments or discussions to de-emotionalize language. I don't like to provoke uh, I have no interest at all in provoking. Says uh, the man who literally burnt the Quran. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's actually a good example. I did. This is not something I would not have done for no reason. Mm. So this this is something I've done for, to prove for Migrahons Vekka that I have left Islam. Mm. Uh, had I had I not um, needed to do that, I would not have done it. Not that I think it's like wrong per se, but it's not my style, basically. Mm. Um, there was a purpose to you doing it. Yes, exactly. I'm just going to let you finish before I discuss provocation. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but that being said, it is interesting that there is, a, that it kind of like um, provokes public interest. And this has to do with like Sweden has a significant minority of Muslims. I think it's 
close to 10% of the population now mm. that is Muslim. And this is a huge percentage compared to America. I think it has 1% of mm-hmm. the population is Muslim. I think it's like three now, but it's still very, very tiny. And it's, Sweden is a very small country. It's like 10, 10 million. So they have more of influence. They have more, they're more present in, in the country because it's a tiny country. In the United States, it's like 350 million people. And Swedes also pride themselves on being very tolerant of other cultures, which is... Except their own. They're not very tolerant of their own culture, I would say. Well, the thing is, I disagree. I actually think that a lot of Swedes, they they really like their culture, generally speaking. Um, and it's just like there's this like cloud minority that is so self-hating, in a way, that dictates the narrative for Swedes who are quite often rather, how to say, very agreeable people. <laughs> They are not. They they don't like conflict. I, I I see that. I agree. I do think um, it Swedes do like their own culture. It's kind of like <laughs> this might be controversial to say or blasphemous. It's kind of like how Swedes something that you portray to the outside to the outside world, and then you have your inner circle ideology, and it's the same thing with multiculturalism. They say that they like multiculturalism because of kebab, sushi pizza whatever but then as soon this there's a study that shows as soon as there are more than four percent of immigrants that move into an area swedes tend to move away not just swedes white people and it says that they don't really like multiculturalism they don't like seeing hijab they don't like seeing different cultures coming into their neighborhood Mm -hmm. but they can say that they like it because that signals that you know they're into diversity tv has told them that diversity is great so i think it's the same thing about them what you're saying is right, is that they do love their culture. They love how uh, there is a certain homogeny in their culture that is very admirable that I find. And I think they do, in some kind of deeper sense, enjoy it and love it. But they're too uh, ashamed of it. They're too ashamed to take pride in it. Because there's there's a strong sense of you're not supposed to be proud of, proud of your culture if you are European, if you're S- Swedish or German because of history. And history is all about slavery and colonialism. Nationalism is considered like a very bad thing and so on. Mm. But but the thing is, there's also another part in that. <laughs> you and I, for example, we, we go against Swedish culture. Mm-hmm. Because Swedish co- a part of Swedish way. culture is like consensus, you yeah. know, being like not not very confrontational, uh, trying to avoid conflict, um, being logom. Yeah, uh, I know what it, that means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what that means. Uh, and in a way, we are violating Swedish culture on <laughs> on these terms. And sure. I understand that that many Swedes think actually uh, that we are a bit too much. Mm. Uh, a bit <laughs> <laughs> but too, too intense too, they too think much. that we are too intense absolutely uh, it, it's true I do think that the, we, we do come off very not logum and I would say like a lot of Swedes tell me oh you're very Swedish because you're very you know you, you speak Swedish you're a part of this culture you fight for Sweden you criticize bad ideologies you're extremely Swedish fighting for Sweden is non-Swedish yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say exactly uh-huh. but you're right and I do I, I I do think like I try to be logom. I try to be and Sara, you're new in Sweden. You you're not gonna feel the logomness of this country until you live here in a while. And for people who don't understand what logom is, it means it's a Swedish word that pretty much means not too much, not too little. 
So Swedes have this ideology that penetrates everything, really. When you go out and drink, you can't drink too much or drink too little. You have to have like this. Well, uh, maybe on the drinking day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, given actually, their it, laws here. They let it go. Maybe actually, on weekends. <laughs> actually, if you're young in a, in a younger crowd, yeah, then drinking, they go off. But like if you're older, like, okay, I wrote, I wrote a tweet the other day where I was like, I don't remember exactly what the, what I wrote, but it was something like, you guys, I'm so hungover, I think Islam is right about alcohol, or something like that. And then some guy wrote, he, he sent me a, a text, like, like a message to my inbox, and he was like, hey, Lu, I, I know you're you're new in Sweden, you've only been uh, here a couple of years, so I'm going to try to help you integrate here. And then he went, never ever write that you're hungover in social media, because Swedes don't like people... Um, bragging about getting drunk because getting drunk is something that's not seen as something decent in Sweden. So people will will, will judge you for it. And I was like, oh, thank you. He was k- kind of trying to like put me into this log on field of don't mm. be too much. Don't say I drank too much. Mm. But I do think like the older generation, like older Swedes, they do, they are pretty much log on even when it comes to alcohol. But like maybe the Swedish friends that you have are kind of cray cray, and uh, so are mine as well. I I find that Swedes don't drink enough at all. Like after <laughs> after, like okay, in Australia and the UK after work. There is you a go. Mandatory. You came from the like, UK. <laughs> like, but Australians drink a lot more. Mm, so when I come really? to Sweden and I oh, see this laws and this rules, obviously we have like an alcohol limit where. You know, if a bartender thinks you've drank too much, they're like, you can't drink here anymore. But like when it comes at home or buying alcohol at like 11 p.m., you have shops available to you. And in the UK, you can buy it at like a grocery shop or like Mm. a mini mart in the corner. But I just wanted to kind of um, when we talked about, um, you know, when Muslims or religious people call us phobic for criticizing ideas, I looked up what Mubarak Bala actually posted. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, whoever believes that religion has been duped, if you can't take blasphemy against Islam, criticism of its doctrines, and this page is not for you. So that was what he was arrested over. And he didn't even write it when he was in the um, Sharia state. He wrote it when he was outside of that. But people got so angry, they arrested him and then they transferred him to the Sharia st- state. But wait, wait, wait. This is like, is this all what he wrote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what? this is ridiculous. And, and then is it though? And then <laughs> and then obviously his Facebook bio said religion insults human reason, conscience. Oh, okay. Duped oh. me into <laughs> <laughs> that makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And duped me into believing I have another lifetime. Uh-huh. And that was his bio. <laughs> I right. mean, he wasn't even being that provocative, to be fair, on, on like a very, you know, I mean, I have worn T-shirts that have said Allah is gay and I really believe in provocation in some scenarios. Try wearing that in like Saudi Arabia or, or Iran. No, I wouldn't. Or Egypt even. I wouldn't. Or Egypt, yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even wear it in the streets of Sweden as well, no. right? No. But I still have that t-shirt. It goes on my social media. It goes when I'm doing conferences about uh, atheism mm. or like ex-Muslim conferences. But the reason why I believe that provocation can sometimes be necessary to create uh more tolerance, to be fair, is because if we think about women's rights, we think about, you know, people like Rosa Parks, New Zealand, I'll, I'll get to a point, New Zealand where women were, it was the first country where women got to vote. It was considered to be provocative. And in a lot of Muslim countries, just not wearing the hijab is considered to be provocative 
when it's our choice, our freedom, it affects nobody else for us to get a step forward. And the reason why I believe blasphemy is important to that extent of provocation without yelling at people, of course, like your free speech on social media or even having a conversation with somebody is still your speech. Equally enough, I find the Quran to be very provocative to my rights to, or other human beings' rights. But at the same time, I feel that provocation is necessary because to date, like we have 40% is a stat on peer research that countries have blasphemy laws. But if we don't challenge that, if we don't move a step forward and blaspheme, and it could be to any certain amount of degrees, it also means how much energy you want to spend on blasphemy. But it could be to any amount um, we're never going to get that result. If we always adhere to, I don't want to offend Muslims by saying what I want to say. You know, blasphemy can equally be, or provocation can equally be an empowering speech for me or mm. to anybody else, to my rights, to my freedom. All right, uh, yeah, or like burning the hijab, for instance. It might not, it might, like it is still an idea, right? The Allah's gay t-shirt is still an idea, as sensitive as it may be. Mm. But the fact that I removed the hijab and have a photo with me removing the hijab was so provocative to other, while it was so empowering to those who were stuck behind it. Right. So there are obviously multifacets and it, it could go on into many tangents. And I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to have a sensible conversation with somebody who is a fundamentalist on blasphemy. I think it would start with obviously mild topics, but I think there's always an opportunity to push a little more. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, just to clarify, I didn't mean that I prefer to not to provoke as in like going out of my way not to provoke, but rather to have provocation as my aim. Like mm. my aim is to be free, totally free. Mm. I say whatever's on my mind, whatever I think, whatever I want to say. Whatever you think. Whatever. Okay. And it's up to like, I don't care if people get provoked by that. Mm. They do get provoked often, but I'm not after provoking them. You know, there are people who try to like, it's their aim to try to stir up feelings in others. This is not my aim, mm. uh, generally speaking. You know, um, like, I swear, I remember how I told you guys that when I was, like, 12, I asked my uncle if Allah masturbates. So, like... <laughs> you were trying to provoke your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I was For me, that was just me, like, asking questions. Like, I have really... Now I'm 28. It's been a very long time since then. I have gradually become less and less and less and less provocative. When I was 18, I used to write Facebook posts in Arabic when I pretty much wrote... I wrote... No, when I was, like, 20, 21, I wrote Facebook posts in Arabic saying... Asking questions like, um, if Allah is, like, a great force of power, why are all Muslim countries retarded? Question mark. And then enter. And I would get, like, 300 comments telling me that they're going to kill me. And then 500 comments tell me. Like, I was so much more pro provocative. Like, just asking questions. And then I would get a lot of tens of people who send me messages telling me, especially friends that I grew up with, like Qasim, for example, who I talked about earlier, that tell me, wow, when you first started writing these really provocative and angry uh, posts about Islam and Muslim communities. I used to think that you're just hateful and just fascist and whatever. But after some time, now I actually understand everything you say and I'm no longer a Muslim. I had so much of those reactions. But with time, like, then I stopped, uh, like, I deleted my Facebook account, like, five years ago before I transitioned into Swedish politics. And the more that I grow, the less provocative that I become. And I do think that 
for ex-Muslims like us, we do have this tendency of being angry. Like, why didn't we have those rights when we grew up? Why are our communities banished from these freedoms that we have here in the West? But I do think, like, the guy that you're talking about, you said that his bio was Islam is an insult to reason. Religion. Religion. Just religion. <laughs> that's, still, that's still translated as Islam in, into Muslims' minds. Yeah. I do think that... Had I been 21 still, I would have liked and shared. But today, like when I'm 28 now, I wouldn't. Because I do find that the best way to reason with Islam and Muslims is to go down to their level uh, where you just discuss the, the, the religion, you discuss the how the religion impacts the society. You already provoke all people by saying this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go down to the level. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, like, go down to their level. I'm not saying, like, to their intellectual level that's below. That's not what I meant. What I meant is that a Muslim will, like, if you're having a conversation with a Muslim, they're going to tell you Islam is a religion of peace, Islam is a great religion, blah, 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 blah. That's the level I'm talking about. So you're telling them, okay, right. let's talk about how Islam is a religion of peace. Let's talk about how Islam is the best thing in the world. That kind of level is where you go down. When you just go ahead and write, religion is an insult to um, to the brain, I think those are, like, Richard Dawkins-inspired attitudes towards Islam. And I do think that Islam is not on the same... Um, pedestal of Christianity because by the time Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all the anti-Christianity icons pretty much came out and started preaching against Christianity, the European and Christian mind has already made a huge leap. Like by that time that these guys came out, like 50 to 80 percent of all Christians believe in evolution theory they believe in secularism they believe in woman rights they've they believed in every single thing that kind of like destroys christianity with the muslim community we're not there yet no no we're not but also i think the most important part is if they're bad if there, if there is an ideology and obviously every religion will teach their good and whatever is perceived in our opinion subjective opinion to be bad um, or also on a scientific level, like um, neglecting, uh, let's say, contraception is also a Christian, uh, not a Christian, sorry, it's a religious thing that can be proven bad for the society um, if there's unwanted pregnancies. And, you know, just small ideas. I would rather focus on what is bad and counter that. Mm. You know, people can keep the good. I have no issues with it, but I think it's the bad. And especially like, I think a lot of my anger was never, or even my continuous anger or distaste for any ideology is not with personal experiences, but rather with the objective view of, or facts and numbers of how many women are killed in the name of honor and being that being closely tied into this doctrines culture, maybe, but also quite closely tied into religion as well and a lot of it keeps on repeating it it continuously goes i also feel like the part of provocation or the fight for apostasy laws may to challenge apostasy laws may have led to sudan removing it and this was very relatively recent two years ago that sudan removed it however that doesn't mean exactly but (laughs) that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it has been removed from the societal or community-based ostracism abuse maybe even killing Mm. even if countries don't have that as their legal like legal constitution 
But even in the UK, you'll have honor killing or you'll have apostates being killed or lynched or hurt. And they will sometimes make the news. A lot of times people don't talk about it. Hmm. They'll never talk about it. But and that's because how often does it happen? Quite often. Quite often. Like I, I in work... Christian homes? Not Christian homes. Sorry, I'm talking about Muslim oh, homes. Okay, but well, yeah, yes, actually, in the US, when I went for the conference in November, I heard this uh, person's story who had mobs of Christians and there are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses mm. outside their homes. Like they tried pulling their daughter into going home. They had to change states. Like they couldn't live there anymore. Mm. So it's, th and this was just like last year for him. So I, I spoke to him in, in November. So it's not unheard of that this happens, especially in Jehovah's Witnesses in the Christianity realm, but not limited to. Je uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are batshit crazy. I was going to say with uh, Salafis as well. Yeah. <laughs> with Salafis, like the Sunni branch of Islam. And like I was raised in the Shia branch, which I know a lot of you consider not to be Muslim, but I thought we were quite chill. And then I see this cases in Iran, Iraq, but also from Tanzania, which is not a Muslim country, of people getting ostracized people getting abused or constant manipulation. Sounds to me a Christian country. Yeah, but it's it's more a secular country, but it is dominated by Christians and now growing Muslims. Nice. Um, but they believe in this unspoken harmony where you don't talk about religion, even between Sunnis and Shias, you don't discuss it, nobody provokes, nobody touches it, and nobody ever wants to face that, hey, by definition, if you're from a different religion, we believe you're going to hell. And that could be for any other religion except mm. for Hinduism because they don't believe in hell. They believe in they're still the right one or they're the divine idea. But isn't it, like in this context, isn't it interesting also uh, with how Christians are or some Christians are in the West? Like, for example, there are Christians here. This was something that was a bit surprising for me. Christians here in Sweden that I struggle myself to to try to like understand in what way they are Christian. <laughs> like they 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 have like very how to say uh, almost a, a hippie understand like view of Christianity. It's like yeah, like they, they wouldn't say that you know if you're not Christian you would go to hell. They mm -hmm. would say well anybody if a good any good person would go to like heaven. They're like Sufis. Yeah, something like this. Or or like um, they they have no problem at all with like saying that. Parts of the Bi some parts of the Bible are bullshit, you know, mm. things like that. It's like they they have been like so defanged, like Christianity here has been so defanged that it's it has been like totally castrated, really. And That's true. You know? It's been stripped away from its like serious strife. Mm -hmm. So like I remember I was working like one of my first jobs in Sweden. It was like in this industry company, and we're like creating like security devices. And I was doing it with this lady, and then she asked me, she was like, are you Muslim? I'm like, no, I'm not Muslim. And I'm like, uh, are you, so I told her, do you believe, are you Christian? Um, she said, no. Uh, no, no, sorry, she said, yeah, I'm Christian. And then I'm like, oh, interesting, so you believe, and that was like me after leaving Islam and literally thinking anybody who believes in God is stupid. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that anymore, <laughs> but... I remember thinking like, wait, you're Swedish and you're Christian, but you don't believe in God? How how does that make sense? Like mm. Christianity being a Christian means believe, you believe in God. And she said, no, that's not true. And I was shocked because 
for me, religion means the belief in God. That's like in Islam, like the main pillar is you believe in Allah, you believe in God. In Christianity has become more of like an identity marker. Kind of like saying, I come, I, I was born and raised in Muslim, and I think, in a Muslim culture, and I think it's it, for them, it's about Easter, it's about Christmas, it's about their ancestors, it's about, you know, how Sweden and the West looks during Christmas times, red and beautiful and glittery and shiny. Um, I think to them, that brings them some kind of like solace because, you know, as human beings or like you said, as animals, we try to find meaning in existence. Unlike cats, cats just like stare out into the universe, right? They have no idea what's going on. For us, we ha we use language to try to communicate. Why are we here? And I do think with Christians, with Muslims do it like hardcore, right? And like trying to find reason and meaning and they have the Quran, and they really interpret the shit out of it. But with Christianity, they've left the, the literal interpretation of text from the Middle Ages, and now they're more retrospective. They're more reflective. They're more like, I don't... like. It, it's easier for a Christian to say, I don't believe in God, but I'm a Christian, but I try to find reason. Well, the, the thing is, I actually, my views on... on I've went through like phases. I used to be like super religious. And then after I, I went through like a, a period where I left Sunni Islam and became a Quranist. Me too. You did. Yeah. I, I did that. I, I, I left Have we Shia. All been Quranist? <laughs> no, I went like Shia Islam to learning Sunni Hadith, and then I was like the Quran, but and yeah, then that's kind of like the Quran. It's like yeah, but explain what Quranist is. So basically, the Quranists like um, they, they are not so many, but uh, they they uh, believe that the Quran itself is enough uh, as the only source of, of uh, religious authority. And really that's the only text that should be, where, where teachings should be derived from. So they don't follow the Hadith at all. Um, and I went through this phase um, like for a period of time. Like I remember, for example, when I, when I was Quranist and I used to fast, because for Quranist, they don't break the fast um, by like uh, Adhan Maghrib but when it becomes dark because it says in the Quran you break your fast when you can't tell the white thread from the black thread that, that is, becomes dark basically so I used to sit like with, with like you know family and relatives and so on and they would break their fast not be like looking still as like, <laughs> and they'll be like looking at me very suspiciously and like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, in the Quran it says it's supposed to be dark. <laughs> then they look at me like very weirdly, like, but the Adhan has the color. Why are you thinking for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyways, um, I used to, I used to. Th then I went through this like really. I would say anti-theist phase where I'm like, you know, religion is bullshit. It's like I hate it. It's the source of all evil kind of phase, you know. Um, religion is an insult to the mind. Or religion, I am yeah. still in that phase. I think this this has been my phase for years. I don't. How, how long have you been in it? Um, I think ever since I left. So maybe like five years. Oh, but you're still fresh. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, you, you will get out of it eventually. I think I hop on back and forth because of the work I do with uh, right. vulnerable people, and that just comes back every time. Oh, and I read I this, imagine. and I'm like, mm. I live mm. through other people's trauma right. or. 
or yeah. other people's plight. But I think yeah, well, but, well, but then then like after that I kind of like calmed down emotionally and I'm now at the phase where I like I still don't like Islam but I don't have any emotions towards it, you know? Like I'm like my critique of it is more out of a cold rational perspective. And one more thing is that I was almost autistic when it comes to like what religion is. Uh, that I used to think that basically it has to be the scripture. You know, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like uh, if Muslims, all Muslims changed, kind of, it's still the Quran and the Hadith is was what Islam is, and I've changed on that. Uh, I've become like more flexible. I've become. Thanks to European Christians. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a sense, actually, in a sense. Um, and like thinking about it in a way, because religion, uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that, can actually uh, resembles culture in, a, in a many ways. And if you think about religion and culture, it is they are defined by the group rather than by, by the... By the uh, the text. However, however, both religion and culture are inherently collectivist in their nature. So, for example, uh, if 99.9999% of Muslims say that, well, you have to believe on, in Allah and Muhammad to be Muslim, and 0 0.00000, or like one person says, like, actually, no, you don't, that does not mean that there is no consensus when it comes to the basis of Islam. It's the group that decides what the religion means. Uh, the same thing with culture, the same thing with language. You cannot, like, I cannot decide on my own and say, well, you know, this cup that I'm holding, this is a horse. I will call it a horse. And uh, since I, ca I call it a horse, it does not mean that you, are, you mm. calling it a cup is any more valid. Do you believe that definitions transcend time, though? Uh, because definitions in, in what sense so like if i tell you that if you, if we travel because if i ask you now christians uh, what do christians believe i would say the majority of christians today don't believe that you have to be like a fundamentalist christian who believes in in the bible in order At to be a real in christian the west, yes. in the west yeah like yeah. swedish christians and european christians yes. right mm. so like you would say that christian is a bit very timid light religion today yes. it's not that fundamental religion yes. and we would define it as such but mm. if we go back to like the 1600s Mm. century the 16th century you would have a completely different christianity where oh. the, the vast like majority like, there's a consensus there mm -hmm. that in order to be a christian like take galileo for example when he went out and and he said oh there are other planets what happened to him they put him in jail because they thought that the, what you're saying is blasphemous what you're saying goes against the bible and the word of god mm -hmm. so back then there was a consensus that christianity is this fundamental anti-freedom of speech religion so do you get what I mean? I was having, actually, I interviewed uh, my friend Bilal Osman, and my friend Tim listened to the interview uh, because she said something that provoked him. She said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not for gay rights and women rights despite being a Muslim. I am for gay rights and Muslim rights because I am a Muslim. And then he stopped listening to the interview, and he ran to me, and he started yelling at me. He's a bit autistic. He was like, she is not a Muslim. How the hell is she a Muslim? And then I told him, but wait, so what about a Christian person? Like, why, why, is it, why do you say when a Christian person says, I am for gay rights and I am for all these rights because I'm a Christian, you don't say anything about it, even though the Bible literally okay. says that you should kill gay people. I have people. a comeback Go ahead. to this. Uh, ethnicity is like um, kind of a 
two-way street and, and that involves basically, I would say, two components. It has to um, involve self-identification. So you identify yourself as part of that group. like, in, in, and, But at the same time, the group has to see you as part of it. So... Uh, <laughs> I, so, so in that in that should, sense uh, in, in that sense I would say the same thing when it comes to religion I would say if a person is accepted by a majority of muslims or any significant group of muslims for example saying that they don't believe in Allah or Muhammad and they would the group would see that person as muslim and that person also identifies as muslim then I would say that is a muslim but for example if like here like if I would go and say, yeah, I'm a Muslim, but the thing is, I don't really believe in Allah or heaven or hell, uh, and um, I actually worship Satan. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, Satan is my prophet. And I can call myself a Muslim, but you will not be regarded as a Muslim by any significant minority of Muslims, let alone a majority. So I, you would not qualify as a member of this group, according in to me. But in 2022. But, but uh, I also no, think... I also 2020, th no, who, who, like, do you think there is any significant minority of Muslims who would accept a person who says, well, I don't believe in Allah or Muhammad and I worship Satan and I want to call myself a Muslim? Maybe, There's no... Maybe, <laughs> maybe not that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in 3022. Uh, yeah. That, I'm open to that. Oh. I'm open to that. But But culture is like not innate or not, and not static but at the same time the, currently there is this is not the understanding from from the muslim group of what muslim is i agree How, i agree however but you know you did say that identified by a group but we also have to bring a bit more shades of gray here whether it's christianity or islam one christianity had hundreds of years to evolve progress um, also, Islam is relatively new as it come when it comes to Islam. Inter sorry, when it comes to Christianity, in terms of how they see progressive ideas. At the same time, we have to accept that it took Christian reformists and the idea of free speech or the idea to be challenged um, in order for Christianity to evolve. Very similarly, there are many reformist Muslims where your friend would probably be identified as a Muslim for supporting gay rights. There uh, are many secular Muslims. There are um, LGBT Muslims who have made their own definition of like, yeah, the Quran says this, but I'm going to interpret it in this way and whatnot. Or with women's rights, you know, it says half of it, but this was relevant in that time. And they will change their interpretation. But so do different sects in Islam as well, or even within sects, there is availability of free thought. Is it condemned by majority of the people in general? Yeah. At the same time, the self-identification is probably the best way for somebody to kind of progress in a society and challenge minds. So your friend's speech will probably inspire a lot of other Muslims to go like, you know, I'd never really thought about gay rights or I have kind of thought about it, but I have been the only one. Or even yeah. as an ex-Muslim, I didn't know people like me existed. All right, but, but uh, I see your point, but that would be more valid if she would say, I support gay rights, full stop. But to say, I support gay rights because of Islam, this is like the, the, this is the move that I see that, well... I don't really... I think she said, because I am a Muslim. And she could have very well interpreted the Islam that she 
believes in to be more accepting and tolerant and to have to be love bombed as well like islam to be open to changing as well i mean i'm sure if she read those passages that would condemn people to hell she would go like i don't completely agree in this maybe she's not willing to chat and this could be any other person not your friend specifically but i have had my most frustrating points are apologists or islamic christianity and you know what you were talking about like well when people are like largely agnostic but christian as well and that that's not the case for everyone obviously we know that you know texas or some other religious areas um are quite heavily um passionate about their religion so they won't agree with an open interpretation or more peaceful interpretation of uh, their religion but i also think that there is space for muslims to reform if islam if we say islam is by the books and i think because we because as muslims or even as ex-muslims we've seen islam to be the final word of god um the final prophet and this is it and it's it's lasting for all time muhammad is a man for all time it really is a cognitive dissonance when you try to inter- like change it in a different way mm. however that works for some people the idea of finding a purpose and sometimes it's like i've been born into this religion why not change it to something that works for me and that was me for the longest time mm. i didn't even know i was ex-muslim i stopped believing in god a while like i wouldn't pray i had always thought so methodically about things that i didn't know a concept of ex-muslims existed and that's where i best ident- where i best identified um mm. as such i would like to circle back to something that you said earlier in the beginning that we are product of language Yeah. So language forms us, forms the way we behave, forms the way we think, forms our ideas and our perspectives on life. And in Bilan's... Or culture more more, more than language. Yeah. 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 Culture is carried by language. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, because you can't really mediate or explain culture medium, yes. without mm. language. You have to use a language to, to mediate the culture. And I think in um, uh, people usually reflect themselves through the religion. So like if you have a society that is very accepting of LGBT rights, no matter what religion you put into it, they would have to find a way to make that religion accepted. So you you can find loads of verses and hadiths and Quran that are about acceptance and love. Um in in Christians you find this a lot like most Christians will use this of um, love love thy neighbor as thyself. And then they say like yeah, I have to love my neighbor as myself even if they're gay. even if they're trans people even if they're you know republicans well that doesn't happen anymore but even if they're republicans even if whatever and that kind of like premiates how they view life pretty much they focus on that beauty and i think in bilan's um case she grew up in sweden in this very lgbtq tolerant society um feminism equal rights trans rights and she was able to focus on the beauties of islam and completely neglect everything that that contradicts with it um so and i think language it's a and so the problem with the middle east is that our language in in the middle east is extremely <laughs> i used to say raped by islamic theology but i'm not going to say that it's not raped. it's very um infiltrated and doctrinated by Islam. So like you think by the words of Prophet Muhammad and well, Abu yeah. Bakr Abu Bakr and all of the sahaba and the people who carried Islam through their through I don't believe in the sahaba came from the Shia world. We absolutely <laughs> we absolutely hate that. And that itself kind of shows the differences you between that community. <laughs> What? 
Fatima. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We hated Aisha. So I yeah. never knew anything about Aisha. I and know. that's how I became like... That's, for us, this is like... For uh, us. For, for Sunnis, <laughs> that's super blasphemous. Like, we call like Aisha and like Abu Bakr or Omar uh, names. Yeah. And like, this This is like... Oh, no. Wait, so, so, so on curse. Yeah, yeah right, I know, curse. I know. So we have a Sunni, right? You're yes, a Sunni, Omar. And you're a Shia. Uh, well, uh, ex- an ex-Shia. An ex-Shia. I, I like, I'm a Sushi because my mom comes from Shia and my really? dad comes... Wow. So That's interesting. Mom, yeah, my mom went against the the granny. Huh. She was like, "I'm gonna get someone from the other sect." Whoa! But yeah. the, mm-hmm. you know what's uh, difficult in like when my, I was, you know, when I was raised or you know um, with my family or community, it was more restricted to marry Sunnis than. Yeah, and yeah. like the non-Muslims, yeah, yeah, because they're kind of like, yeah, they believe in Muhammad, so it'd be really hard to change their minds, whatnot. But if you marry somebody who's not Muslim, they'd have to convert, obviously. That that was the case for my mom, but yeah. my mom was the kind of person who was like, "Fuck you all," you know, like with everything. But but to go back to to this point uh, about um, some Swedes, for example, who are raised with a Muslim identity, I think for many of them, uh, I think maybe even including Bilan, I'm not even sure that she believes in God. She does. It would she, be not, not in the... Not she in prays. the Islamic well, personal God Yes, sense. I, I'm, I'm also sure in that same sense, as in like, you know, that, that God that will punish you and send you to hell or heaven if you like maybe have premarital sex or things like that or... I don't. I don't think. I, I think she does. I think she does. Like in the same way that we did, we were like we believed in it, but were we like one hundred percent sure about it? That's interesting. I would. I would ask her. Like, but okay. Let's let's not talk about her specifically. <laughs> okay. But uh, let's say there are people here in Sweden who have like maybe Muslim parents, but they themselves are not religious at all. Oh yeah, like, I was uh, so surprised. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> uh, and they don't really. They identify as Muslim. But they haven't even read the Quran or haven't prayed or like they don't really fast either. Mm. And and to them, they are still Muslim somehow. They identify as such. Uh, and they, they can have like problems understanding conservative Muslims or even critique of conservative or, or like critique of mainstream Islam because they see themselves as like Islam, so to speak. <laughs> and you're like, you're telling them, yeah, but well, uh, Sharia and things. And they'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I was raised like that, though. I was raised in that bubble where you never kill people, right? You, it never, even if you leave Islam or not, you just don't. Like that was my bubble of religion. So when I came out as an ex-Muslim, my parents were like, oh, it's a phase. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, whatever. But the harshest criticism or the the death threats I got, I was so surprised because these are in my head. These were just things that are happening with the small, small minority. Right. Like the small, like a really small proportion or like if we talk about Islamic terrorism or whatnot, it's like it really rarely occurs. It's never Mm. a widespread problem. But I was really surprised to see when Islamic terrorism in some cases with like Israel and Palestine or, you know, vice versa, you'd have this, uh, you would have a group and it's not a small group that say, ha, the West deserves this. Or in terms of COVID, uh, the way we had it in Tanzania, it's not a fairly, it's not very religious in that sense with Islam only. Um, But in Tanzania, they would say this is a white man's disease. 
Like this COVID doesn't happen in Tanzania. Wait, like that Chinese was Chinese yeah, people. Or, exactly. No, no, no. But they were like, this is a Westerner thing. This is what happens with them. But also people going like, haha, see the Western th there were people who are rejoicing over the West being restricted or people having to wear masks, equating mm -hmm. that with the niqab that Muslim women wear. And they're like, see, Muslims have had it right because they cover themselves, they don't shake hands. And I'm like, wow, that conflation <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> but the idea that some people People were happy about the, you know, about terrors. That was never something I could, That's like, interesting comprehend. Because it's super mainstream in Egypt, for example. And I think there is an aspect, like you were talking about language before, there is an aspect uh, of, of, like, Arab countries in, like, in general, with some, like, exceptions, um, being way more conservative because the how religion how islam and arabic culture arabic language are married in a way uh, so even if you if you look at, at countries like pakistan or iran or or like um even afghanistan they had periods where they were they were not really like that is like conservative at all uh, but then again this is there's also this problem with islam in itself um the thing is if you take if you look at the history of Islam, all this is not new at all. Like there have been periods where even the caliphate was not that religious. There, there have been like, for fuck's sake, like in in the the hallways of of like the the caliphs, people like uh, reciting poetry about wine and sex. Uh, people were like not re like there were periods where people were not religious at all, and the the Islamic revival. People like think a lot about the last. Islamic revival in the end of the 70s and the and the beginning of the 80s but the Islamic revival is a recurring phenomena it happens all the time there has been this cycle that takes place people are super religious super conservative and then by time they start to move away from religion start to be quote unquote secular well not religious basically not having their lives dictated by religion anyway they forget about it and then some person comes and say, well, the problems that we're having and because like uh, Allah is angry, we have moved away from the right path and we have to go back. Mm. And this is how Wahhabism started, for right. example. Yeah. And this is a recurring phenomenon. And this is like why I'm a bit, it almost feels like Islam has to be defeated once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool, for like, it to like kind of like okay, that is uh, it. <laughs> That's called the pe the pendulum effect, where you go from like right, and then it goes a ball no? that keeps swinging back and forth. And you actually also have it with national uh, nationalism as well. Uh, in a sense, you have it a lot but, with a lot of things. Yeah, but I do think the reason or like why it's going to be tough to beat Islam once once and for all. And what you mean by beat Islam? It's not like eradicate Islam, but rather like liberalize Islam and make Islam live in harmony with other religions and ideologies is you would have to have an enlightenment of the Muslim community that kind of like really banishes the, the literal reading of the books. And you're not going to be able to have that if the Islamic community does not um, catch up with scientific understanding like evolution, Big Bang, biology. Yeah. Like the, 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 That's like one of the reasons why the West was able to like 
evolution came from the West. The Big Bang came from the West. They literally used their microscopes and testing and, and questioning in order to be like, oh, okay, in the Middle East, what happened? We literally took the Quran and we said, oh, we had everything in the Quran. Like the Big Bang was in the Quran. And now there are other imams that say evolution is actually in the Quran. Like we're, we're defeated. And the only way that we're kind of like reconciliating with ourselves is by saying, well, you know what? We might not have been the ones who came up and understood science but we have it in our religion and it makes us more conservative in our reading i was gonna say and in your point there you know when you spoke about talking to muslims at their level of thought mm. how would you counter that when they're like but this was already in the quran and that's where i find my most um I wouldn't say challenging, but my most frustrating conversations are when I speak to liberal Muslims, which I absolutely admire. But at the same time, there is a really big cognitive dissonance when you're like, however, you need to accept that you're going to negate some parts of the Quran, which many people aren't willing to do. So and if by science and evolution, you also mean humanism, which is like, you know, outside all of it, just respecting somebody um, or not thinking they're going to hell because they're born in a different family or different religion is also part of that liberalist society, uh, the liberalist society that we want. But how would you counter that when somebody is like, oh, yeah, I believe in evolution because the Quran had already believed in, or, you know, like COVID, you know, they predicted the pandemic coming. And those are like some of my most frustrating conversations when they twist and turn so many things. Yeah, I think we should dedicate like 10 entire episodes to that question. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm, uh, if you think about it, it is a bit of a surprise that evolution has not defeated religion completely. It is a bit surprising because, for example, if you believe that uh, Quran is the literal speech of God and that this is like the last final and perfect message that he sent for humanity like to humanity and you believe in the literal adam and eve if evolution like has been proven you have to discard that mm. how but, would you reconcile that with it you would have to say then that the quran is not the literal speech of god mm. Actually, I, I think it's because the fact that evolution is an extremely complex science. It's very simple, but it's also complex to understand, right? And it takes a lot of reading. It takes a lot of investment in order to understand that. And I think the fact that not many people understand evolution entirely is one of the reasons that, you know, you can have a lot of religious people who really don't, or they believe in evolution, but they kind of like align it with their belief with god yeah, because like the idea of evolution kind of says that it disregards and discards any like god that kind of like well not not necessarily but that's the thing like in egypt for example and i think in in most muslim country or, or like at least in many arab countries but definitely in egypt almost everyone believes in the evolution of all animals except, except human beings yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that's being taught at schools yep. like we we have like basically we we are being taught evolution of animals in schools mm. uh, and the thing is we reconcile that with the will of allah yeah that basically he created them in this way and then he they are evolving also by his will yeah but human beings were human beings since the beginning that's yep. like we're separate right um and the thing is, 
this is believed by doctors by quote <laughs> yeah definitely yeah, li- yeah. literally quote it's unquote so scientists like muslim scientists and so on they say that no like well everything about evolution is true not just when it comes to human beings it's brainwashed